Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner. Today, we're talking about the latest news and how it's important to Australian business owners. And if you're not already, make sure that you are on the newsletter. This newsletter is designed to enhance your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. So head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and get updated every single time we drop one of these episodes. But before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. Charlie, businesses are innovating. Who would have thought in a post-pandemic era, businesses are innovating? Small businesses, it could be the entire unique sales proposition of them. Big businesses are really struggling to innovate <laughs> as they always are, like the Titanic. Uh, from your side, like we always talk about the Kodaks, the Blockbusters, the other pages of the world. If you don't innovate, you die. Uh, is this just a great, well done, you're telling me something I don't know, or where does this stem from? Well, this story, this news story for this week really comes from some experiences and then also things I've seen. And I'm sure you're seeing similar things, Grant. Um, I kid you not, in the last week, I've had a couple of phone calls from uh, business owners who like they're kind of in this zone right now where they're a little bit panicked because of what's going on, whether it be from interest rates or rising wage costs or whatever it is. And then on the other side is their reaction to things is to like stay the same. Yep. They're trying to like hold on and like almost like, no, 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 we just got to stay here and we're just got to go back. We just got to go back. Like, you know, I got to keep the same and things will be the same. We're going to double down on what I used to do and everything's going to be fine. And I kind of am, well, actually, I'm not kind of, I am of the view that that's a terrible mentality. Like, I think it's actually a really dangerous mindset and a really dangerous way to run your business. So you mentioned before, like Kodak, Blockbuster and the Yellow Pages. It's like, what, what do they all have in common? They didn't innovate and they died. They resisted the trend, right? <laughs> so like Yellow Pages, they could have dominated online. Yep. They probably could have been the best online classified in some way. Um, then you've got uh, Blockbuster who had the opportunity to buy Netflix yep. and just thought, you know, this online thing isn't going to happen. And then you've got Kodak who invented the digital camera and then didn't want to uh, make it a thing because their chemical business was too profitable. So I, I look at that as those key examples and even though very different industries – um, it's ripe, right? How many, uh, I would think of this right now. wonder if you have any of these in your life where it's like people that had really successful like retail businesses and didn't take them online. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I know people. They, they're like, this is what I do. I do. People come in, foot traffic goes past my shop and I just sell these clothes. That's it. Right. So where I look at this right now is that with what's going on in the world, I think we've actually hit a new time. So I'm going to call it like post-pandemic. Yep. We'll go with it. We'll go with post-pandemic. So what, what do I mean by that is that the world had this event that's happened for a couple of years. It changed everything. Like we really had to reshape how we do businesses in a lot of ways. We're coming out of that right now, but we're not going back to what it was like before the pandemic. We're actually going forward into a new way of doing business. And if you are one of these businesses that innovate, and I've got some, I've got some cool examples of this, by the way, which we'll go into, I think you can do really well like really, really well, like generational wealth well, like change the lineage of a family well 
versus if you're someone who stays stagnant, chances are you're really going to struggle in the next few years. And I think, How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think you hit something that's like counterintuitive like right back at the start, which was like we're going through a state of uncertainty at the moment with like global markets down and potentially in a recession, et cetera, which means businesses are sort of tightening up. They're battening down the hatches going, how do I sort of cut out my discretionary spend? How do I sort of automate things and do like, how do I just reduce my expenses by 20, 25%? And we're also sitting there saying, well, you can't just do that and expect to survive. Like you can't just be in this survival mode. You have to do that, yes, to maintain profitability and make sure you can weather the storm. But you still have to put this innovative hat on, right? Like you can't just go batten down the hatches, let's stop buying nice meat and just like eat sort of other food and just expect to survive and thrive. But that's what people get given. Like that's that's what we're growing up on. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. It's um and maybe it isn't crazy. Maybe like I totally get it. it's like we're reactionary to Ex- things and like yes. the common sense thing is to go, okay, things are not good, I better play defense. Mm. But I think that is a, it's a misstep in this environment. That's, and, and I will say this, right? You know, uh, the world can have a recession. doesn't mean you have to have a recession. Yes. Like, it can be the opposite. And like, oh, again, just one little story here is that in 2008, McDonald's boomed. Yep. Because people stopped going to nice restaurants and they started eating more McDonald's. So McDonald's actually didn't have the downturn that the high-end restaurants have. So like just because uh, the environment has changed – doesn't mean that you can't be really successful. Yes, you might have to change, but you might. This might be your opportunity to be more successful than ever. Why the Kodaks and blockbusters of the world, well, just can't innovate. Big companies struggle to make these moves. Where this could be your unfair advantage, dude. I love. I, I completely love it, and it's. I'm just going to repay that because it's. It's the key point. Is yes, you're going to be reducing expenses, but you have to increase your innovation. So I, I know, I've got a list. But I'm going to let you kick off on your list. Go and give us like one of these innovative things that will just make people's minds get fucking blown. This is my favorite one right, by far. Because I, I wanted to prepare some examples for this because it's like, you know, it's easy to sit here, but it's like, you know, how do you actually do it, right? What are people doing? What could I potentially model? And uh, my favorite one when I was looking at companies that have innovated really well recently is John Deere. Tractors. Dude, I love John Deere tractors. So well, me, so do I actually because uh, my son Jack is a massive fan. The, I don't know if it's the coloring or whatnot, Green or the yellow. range of toys. A little bit of an innovator there to just breed it in that he should get a John Deere probably as well. Um, but John Deere have been doing this really interesting thing, right? So this is like tractor manufacturing. They make tractors, right? And uh, in recent years, they've actually been like putting a lot of tech on their tractors. So for example, if you buy the brand new um, with all the gadgets John Deere, it's got things like GPS tracking. Yep. So you can actually like automate driving your tractor. And then the other thing is it can actually take measurements of the yields of the crops. So you can know if you're going to have a good yield or a bad yield or a whole bunch of things. But the thing they do that has most impressed me, most impressed me, is they've decided that all the tractors they've got, they're going to collect all the data right? So they've got all these tractors in the world that are working on, in this example, let's say corn farms. So they know how much corn is being yielded. Yep. And they sell that data to Wall Street. (laughs) Because if the Wall Street traders know that, hey, it's been a bad year for corn, right? They're not going to produce as much corn this year. They can trade that on the commodities market. So they're now acting as a data provider to Wall Street. (laughs) If you you were a farmer, 
right, going, well, I, I need to use this. Like I, I've looked at the John Deere, like they've got this thing called Precision AG and it like maps out the entire farm. And it has utility to the farmer of what they are doing, which is why they're going to continue using it. Would you be upset knowing that like now John Deere is going to make a second cut of that information because it directly impacts your industry, potentially negatively, potentially positively? I'll say maybe, but it's like, how can I put this? Is like, it doesn't really change something for me. Like if the John Deere product is going to get me a better result on my farm and at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I'm better off for it and like my economy is better for it, then I'm okay with it. And like, there's tons of examples. Like I think people don't realize that why TVs are so cheap is because they sell all your data as well. Like, were you upset when you bought a TV from JB Hi-Fi? Nope. And then I think there's like phones, obviously. Like, how do you think your traffic reports are up to date? Your Gmail. They, everyone, your Facebook. Everyone in the car, it's sending out, oh, this person's phone isn't moving and they've clearly been driving. Like, it, like we are all actually selling a lot of data we may not realize. So would I be upset? Probably not because I look at it and go, the it's such a huge advantage and I think net positive for the world to have these data. I actually like that we're doing these things. It's, I can't speak for the farming community though. It's, it's interesting because... On that Google Maps thing, did you see the guy that went and got hundreds of phones and put it into like a little red wagon and he like wheeled it down the road through the States and it was just saying like there was this traffic jam <laughs> this entire way. That I love that. Way. It's so good. Because <laughs> all of them were just going so slow. It's like red the whole way through Google Maps. But it's actually interesting because you hit on this fascinating point and it is an overused example, but there's details that have impacted my friends, which I, I want to get into. So Amazon used to sell books. And then they became a huge marketplace, right? And everyone's like, oh, this is great. So they've just got a whole heap of customers that want to buy a whole heap of products sitting on one platform. Makes logical sense. And a lot of people have made a lot of money selling their products through Amazon. The interesting thing was that Amazon started getting all of this data across a whole myriad of categories. And they actually started manufacturing their own products and selling it, to which you never guess who ranks at the top for these like, products. Well, it's Amazon which means now they have been able to take all of this data by having the number one marketplace and go, how can we as a business innovate to make more cash for our shareholders? Let's go and actually take that and build our own product. But in addition to that, there's actually a subpart of Amazon, which is actually not really subpart. It's actually arguably larger than Amazon's e-com store, which is Amazon Web Services, where Amazon could not actually get good enough servers for them to support the amount of traffic that they had through their store. So they had to build a server solution. And now that business is like hugely booming because everyone's like, how'd you do that? How'd you solve that problem? Can we pay you for access to that? And so then they innovated going, well, we just had to build this out of necessity. That's an entire product art for them now. And I'm just- I, think, I think supermarkets like Coles do something similar, right? With like the Coles Choice brands and stuff. Like they've got like Coles Mustard where they know the most popular flavors of mustard and then- Yep. They manufacture the same things at a, a cheaper rate. Like that's, that's a really good example of innovation. I mean, I do feel for the uh, people that got their products uh, modelled, copied. Mo- I don't co- know a word. Copied. We'll say copied. <laughs> but it's still smart innovation from their point of view. I think it's a really good one. All right, I got, I got another one. All right, we'll, uh, we'll do, go, we'll do some more. I'm enjoying this too much. Uh, there is uh, a restaurant in my area called Pacha, um, which is uh, they do like Turkish food. It's really good, oh, really good. And they used to be like, you know, standard restaurant and all the rest of it. And they've hard pivoted into being like more of a shadow kitchen and takeaway. So you can't go in there anymore. There's just like a counter at the front. You can pick up food or order food and pick it up. And there's kind of like, you know, tables and chairs at the front. But they've decided 
the way they're going to go forward instead of trying to compete with other restaurants is actually by going condensed and into this direction. Like they want to be the best at takeaway and they've geared up to be a faster kitchen, provide really interesting like take-home experiences. Like they've actually innovated by being different. What's interesting though when I was kind of like observing this is how they've been able to change their headcount and how much floor space they need. Mm. So if, for example, cost of like waiting staff and hospitality staff has gone up, well, they don't need that anymore. So they've been able to kind of rather than absorb that expense and raise prices, they've been going, well, how can I innovate the way I do business to need less people? They literally just have one person on checkout at the front and then they might need more chefs and and so on to execute this model. But they've been really, really clever in how they've gone about it where they've like rather than just like, I don't know, listing things on Uber Eats, they've made a complete experience out of this where they're also experiencing a cost reduction yep. and an innovation. I just think that's so clever because hospitality has been hit really hard and especially with what's going on in the world, if you can pro- uh, provide options like McDonald's did in 2008, it's like, hey, I'd love to have a really nice Turkish dinner. Don't want to spend a couple of hundred bucks on a night out. Well, we could create this at home for 50 bucks. Like that's a really interesting value proposition in this time. And I think that's a, a smart way to be thinking about things in general. Do you, think, do you think every business can innovate? Like, do you think that the innovative opportunities are there for every business? And like, I look at some that I feel as though not so much outside of like a radical change, like hairdressers. Like the only thing that's going to be able to really benefit hairdressers is maybe like a, like a mobile service or like a robot that cuts your hair for you kind of thing. Unless we all just shave our heads like you and just buy razors and do it ourselves, right? Like, the, do you think yeah, that but everybody to, can? to that point, my hairdresser, right, taught me how to shave my own head in COVID, <laughs> right? So it's like I, I, I absolutely believe every business can innovate. And I'm going to go, that's a really good one, right? I've got another one. There's a gym as well that you would say like they used to do PT classes. Like that's really difficult to innovate. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not harder than others, but I look at this right now and go, well, if you're a really talented hairdresser, What's stopping you from getting a mannequin and teaching classes to people on how to cut their hair online? Because I had that challenge. Like you couldn't, where I was in lockdown for like nine months, you couldn't actually go to a hairdresser. No hairdressers were open. You couldn't do it. Hair was getting out of control. I'm like, I, I, I need help. Like I'm not just, I, I'm like, if there's an apprenticeship for cutting hair, I'm pretty sure this is something I just don't tackle myself. Like there's some skills here. You just and like I did, she me. gave me some really good tips. <laughs> Did you should have just grown it out, grown it out with me. We could have just gone like been fro brothers. Not doing it. It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad, Greg. I got to this really bad stage. It's like no, not dealing with this. So I'm gonna steal a question that I before you even ask me, because I can read your bloody mind. <laughs> That's exactly how we roll. So I'm curious. Imagine someone's listening to this and they might be a hairdresser. They might be they might have a cafe. They might they might have a business that it's not so obvious to innovate, right? Like, and I loved the example of like John Deere. Like, that is not an obvious innovation of going and selling data to commodity traders. Like, if they can do that, you've got no excuse. Yeah, is that like? Do they wait for smart people to go to them and say, "Hey, this is what you could do as an opportunity," or do they have to like build it internally? Like, what? How would you get them to innovate? Like if you were in anybody's situation, how should they be approaching this just to think differently? Again, I put some thought into this. I was like, I don't want to be this guy on a podcast getting people excited about like Shadow Kitchens and John Deere and then people go, hang on, I don't have a tractor company or a restaurant. And a head, hairdressing <laughs> <terms>. Like, <laughs> um, all right, So actually I thought about this a lot. So it's like um, 
Well, step one is I think a lot of businesses, if you can reduce costs, obviously you should. Yeah. And I say obvious costs, right? So if you're currently, I don't know, paying $500 a month for your internet and you can get the same internet service for $100 a month, make that change. That's a good saving. Uh, one of the things we've done is we've been using uh, ClickUp more and I look at it and go consolidating your SaaS into better tools. Like we we saved like a thousand bucks a month just doing that. Yes, we did. Yeah, so like I think every business in this time should absolutely be taking advantage of those things. But then step two is in many of our episodes, we've talked about like tailwinds. So I really look at it and go, uh, I think it's worth taking a day off, going somewhere different, looking at a list of tailwinds and going, how can my business support these? And just brain dumping and asking your network and mentors the same thing. It's going, okay, well, if, you know, this is one where we've spoken about like the green uh, evolution. So green mining, green innovation, it's like, well, how can my business support these industries? What yep. could I be doing where I could get a piece of that? So you might be a website business who specializes in doing great websites for green companies. Or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things where even in, and I love the mining example because those towns are going to need support. Maybe you're a carpenter and you go, well, if this is where work's going to be, maybe I should be there. Yep. Right. So there's so many ways to view that. I think that's um, so really looking at the tailwinds and where you want to be. For us, I'm looking at this right now and I'm like, well, uh, online media is going to get bigger. That's a tailwind arena for us. I'm going to double down in that area. I'm not going to double down in things that I think are kind of over or or, or, uh, have had their day. So, you know, I'm not going to start a newspaper right now. I just think that's a bad idea. And then thirdly, and I think this is a huge one, I don't think in general, like I ask business owners all the time, would you like to be doing more joint ventures and bundles? They're like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, how many are you doing? And it's like, none. None. <laughs> I'm like, why not? So I look at this right now and go that uh, joint ventures, I think is one of the most clever ways to be innovative in times. So it's like, who are the product people you could team up with to create a bundle? What are the services that go with a product or with another service where you could collaborate with someone um, and do something there? Like, I think it's really creative. Who has the audience that would be perfect for your product or who has the product that would be perfect for your audience? I think that type of innovation can really like make a massive difference in uh, business as well. So that's how I've been thinking about to kind of approach it in three steps. uh, So someone can like innovate and also experience like margin expansion in what they do. Yeah. For me, I I wholeheartedly agree. The the additional points that I'll say is actually I'll continue on your point around um, if like, if you were to look at the vertical of an industry, right? Like we'll use hairdressers just because it's a terrible example. I'll, I'll expand on that. Like you look at the entire vertical itself from everything from, okay, what about the supply of the hairdresser products? Well, what about what happens to the hair after? What ha- Like what is the before? What does someone do before and after they get a haircut? Like how does the industry work? And talking to those people, but also looking linear, like to your point, like talking to other people in the industry, what are hairdressers doing over in America? What about in China? Like where are these other innovations coming from? Just so you can get an idea of things that are happening and things that are changing. Um, and so I think that- I, I just get excited, even as you go, so I'm just excited. I'm like, oh my God, you could do like, um, what are the common hairstyles in the US and do demonstrations here for the Australian market? Or you could do like, what are the latest products and which ones you would recommend for which type of hair, Right or men or women, like there's so many innovations there that could be done. And like, that's one we've said is a harder one. Yeah. And it's like, to your point, 
like you can just think about the different demographics that you support kids hair what about the different ethnicities or the di- different thicknesses of the hair what how do you approach it different how are the products different all of these different things of just going and this is just to get ideas of innovation right like you don't need to execute on all of them it is just to go well outside of me just cutting hair what what else exists in here uh, and then the other thing as well that I always love that nobody does for some unknown reason is talk to your customers before like uh, previous customers, current customers, potential future customers, like what are they doing? Like, what are they looking for? What do they enjoy? What didn't they enjoy? Why did they go from, why did they leave someone else? Why did they come to you when they're at home? Like, well, why don't they get their hair cut every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Like, and just try and understand more of their pain points and desires. So you go, oh, maybe I could support that to generate potentially more revenue from the same customer. So the John Deere example, they used to sell tractors and then they started selling digital products to the farmers and then they sell data to traders. And so it's like, well, how do I make more money from my customers? But then how do I potentially make more money from elsewhere, right? And so just thinking through that innovation process, I think you will have unlimited ideas in whatever industry you are in and even consume things on YouTube. What are other people doing? What are other people talking about? Go to events, go to etc. Like it's so much. Just about to say that there's a fourth point I should really put in on this is like you've got to be paying attention to what you're consuming, right? So if you're consuming this podcast and you've just heard all these ideas, that might spawn an idea for you. So what you listen to at the moment and your inputs really important. And then I, I almost forgot, but I will say it. Often my best ideas come from my network. Yep. It's like, well, what's working for you right now? I go, oh, that's interesting. How could that be applied here? So this is the time where I think network and relationships hugely valuable as well. Yeah, it's interesting. The more people, like I caught up with a business group last night and the question that I always ask is like, what are you doing different now in, in the environment that we're seeing? Just to understand what, what, what are they doing? Like, are they cutting costs? Are they doing anything? Like I spoke to a guy last night. I'm like, are you cutting costs? He's like, no, we just know our margin is going to get hit, but we've got enough margin that we'll weather the storm. And he's like, and so we'll just keep building cool stuff. And I'm like, okay. Like, there's not many people answer that way. Great. Like, just trying to get the, that understanding across. Simple, it. Someone who's made serious money answers oh, yeah, that, that way. way. <laughs> yeah, that's how someone killing it answers. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I love that topic as well. Innovation is great. And I think too many people don't understand. Like, they think that they need to be some whiz big whiz bang kid of like cutting edge of technology and they must need need to know how to code in order just to try and define what innovation is and it's it's not the case not at all yeah all right second one this one's going to rustle some feathers charlie the entire objective of this one i love this topic just before we start it i'm like i'm excited again <laughs> the charlie smirk coming in so public servants and politician salaries so charlie i'm curious did you know that the governor general gets paid just shy of half a million a year and he gets a house and he gets cars and he gets like a whole heap of things paid for for him and his family. And did you know that prime minister gets just over half a million a year? Not to mention like about 200 grand a year after they finish in like a, a retirement kind of pension, if you will. Uh, for additional reference, the public service has an average of about a quarter of a million bucks of revenue for federal politics. Like what they just had a pay rise as well of 2.75%. And they found out that the average salary sorry, was exactly about $217,000 for the federal politics. So um, are we just all going to run away and go become politicians now? Like this sounds like it's a pretty good business to be in. I think this is the greatest scam ever. They vote on their own wage increases. It's fantastic. 
And they justified it, by the way, and I'm going to quote this. The wage increase, and I quote, was to, to keep up with the current employment market and state of the economy. This is, all right. <laughs> do, all right, I'm going to do some knee-jerk reactions. I actually think a half a million a year to be the Prime Minister of Australia, not enough. I actually think that's a – I realise the pension they get is like pretty awesome, right? So at this point I think it's like 200 grand a year for the rest of their lives. Yep. Right, so that's substantial. Like if you do, if you run the country, I almost feel like that's reasonable. I really do. Like that is our top job. That is the person who is uh, showing leadership. It's how we represent to the world, right? I, I absolutely am, I, I am fine with that one. Um, as you go into other ones, though, it gets a bit interesting. <laughs> it definitely does. Like I'm, I'm not sure people really understand how much politicians get paid. And I would think that what concerns me the most, this is the thing that I would say annoys me with politics. I would just love to know how much time they actually spend doing things versus playing politics. Yep. Like how much time do they spend like just uh, shitting on their opponents, trying to like rally votes and, uh, you know, sway things for their own benefit versus actually doing things that propel the country forward. And it's unfortunate that in the news cycle and mass media, it's like these political games get way too publicised, which only like feeds that cycle. So that on that side of things, that's where I kind of stand. Um, actually, I'll ask for your comments on that before I go to like the other, the other areas. No, so I, I agree. And I always look at the Prime Minister's job similar to like a CEO. The challenge is you are the one out of the front that anything bad happens and lands on your shoulders. Anything good happens and it's the economy. Right, like as everybody else has created this success, it's never the that guy is the prime minister. Like you are, you are the one. So I'd, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. But it's like the sub layers below that. They sort of sit in a room constantly. They we've seen it all. They kind of bicker, and nothing really changes at the speed that you hope that things changed at, etc. Like imagine if businesses ran the same way as politics with the same kind of revenue. Granted that businesses can't force revenue like governments can force revenue, right? Like they want a pay rise. <laughs> they can click their fingers and get a pay rise. Like it's done, we'll just tax people more or done, we'll just go and print some more money. Done, we'll do X, Y, and Z. Like I, I, so I agree with you on the prime minister, but I, oh, from a outputs and delivery perspective, the amount of time it takes just to get like a housing permit approved through like a council, let alone a bill getting passed through parliament. It just is crazy. And on points that you and I would just like bat our eyes and go, I can't believe they're even talking about that because it's so irrelevant for the progress of a country. Yeah, the bureaucracy as well, right? Just like the building approvals is a, is a really good example. I, I look at that and go, and this is like the reason why you look at like Telstra and CBA, like they were uh, government institutions and they became privatised because the conclusion was that that would be better run by businesses who had to drive a profit versus uh, like when it's like just running for the sake of the country. Although you'd have to argue things like Australia Post are run pretty well considering they are still like government things. But uh, I'll share a quick story here. I actually knew a guy who used to uh, work at Telstra when it was a little bit more private. And uh, I'll put it this way. You'd be horrified by some of the stories. Like <laughs> two electricians to change a light switch. <laughs> you see, I walked past some council works that were happening on the roads here in the Melbourne CBD. Seven dudes standing watching one guy. Dig a ditch. I, I'm not sure council, um, like that type of work, I think that is private though. No, they can't. that's so contracted the, out. But we're paying through our taxes to the councils that then pay the workers. 
And so they've quoted Damn. on this job for eight dudes, seven dudes to watch one dude, and we're paying for it <laughs> because it's work for the council. You, I think our distaste for um, public servants is uh, being shown here a little bit. A, li- a little bit. <laughs> I think anyone who runs a business generally feels that way because they see what they have to go through and be efficient and then they look to the way like governments spend and it's like, come on, guys, like we have to do better, you can do better. I can, I can agree with that. And I will also say is like we haven't worked in government. There's probably a ton of things we don't understand which goes into the good things they do and potentially the bad. But <laughs> I want to cross the other side of the fence here and talk about like there's also many things like NBN, uh, Australia Post, and then I think like Snowy Hydro. Like, there's all these other things that are out there where people get paid way more. And the RBA governor, the yep. RBA governor gets paid well, more as well. So I was really fascinated to see that, like, um, the governor of the RBA, uh, Philip Lowe, I think is today. Yep, he gets paid more than a million dollars a year. Did he? There were 27 of these public figures that get paid more than a million bucks a year. So that's what I find interesting is like our prime minister gets 500 grand a year, but the guy who runs the Reserve Bank or whoever runs Australia Post or, you know, these or Snowy Hydro, more than a million dollars a year. And MBN's in that as well, I think. So if, if you looked at that, right, so you think about the Australian economy as a company, right? Revenue lines, expense lines, you've obviously got NBN's the same, Snowy Hydro is the same, uh, OzPost the same. To an extent, RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the same. Which one is more profitable? I, I don't actually know. <laughs> You'd have to argue that from a revenue number, the, the economy would have to be significantly up there. And because of the costs to maintain it, I, you're right, I might not know which one's more profitable. But if the CEO of NBN is getting paid over $3 million, bucks, the CEO of Snowy Hydro I think was over $2 million, bucks, CEO of uh, OzPost was like $1.6 million, and then the guy that's running the country is like half a mil. Like... Do you sit there and look at these couple of million dollar salaries and say they are justified because of what they could do elsewhere? So De- definitely, yeah, wholeheartedly. Because so like th- NBN, you're coming up with against some massive players in Telstra and Optus, etc., to try and stay competitive. In OzPost, like I know that I think they they bought uh, Star Trek or something like that, and they merged that into the greater company. But you're coming up against some fierce competitors, right? And so now you need to go and get a commercial CEO to go and run these things. Um, and then you can sort of continue down the line, like there's other sort of services and public services that are people that get paid over a million bucks a year. Like to me, I look at that and go, they are some tough jobs. Like I'd, you would have to pay me a lot of money for me to be able to get into those roles and be highly successful based on the comparison I could get elsewhere, right? Because I actually argue that they so. get paid less. I think they still get paid less. But like, let's just use an example here. Is like if you've got, like, we'll pick NBN as the example here is like, um, if you've got, well, cool, we'll pay you um, a lower because this is a public thing. We're only going to pay you a quarter of a million a year. And they're looking at going, okay, well, if I go work at Telstra or go overseas, I'm going to get like two, three million a year. Yep. Then our government uh, services like NBN end up with people that are just like not Second good year. at the job. Subpar. Yep. Yeah. Now, regardless of what you think of the NBN, depending on where you live, in some places it's amazing. They've done a really good job in others – yeah, questionable. Um, but the, the point I'll make there is that, like, don't as a country we want the best people running these? We do. Like, I've looked at so many business owners and gone, it's not what they do, it's who's running it. Like, if if I ran your business, it would be different to how uh, this person runs that business. Like, the quality of the person at the top of these organisations matters a lot 
I would argue it's that it's probably one of the most important roles, if not the important, most important role to ensuring like from a top-down perspective is that these things are successful. And same with Snowy Hydro. Like this is a massive energy project. Huge. If he's sitting there getting poached every day for double salary to go to mobile, yep. like why would we expect him to stay? I wouldn't stay. I, I think that self-interest plays here. I think that it was interesting because as I was preparing for this, I was like my knee-jerk reaction was like, Outraged. I'm like, that's it. Let's all shut up shop and go become politicians. This is fantastic. And then I started looking at, and I actually know friends who work in sort of the public service. And I was looking at the salaries that they had up on Seek to actually go, is this kind of comparable to like the market rates, right? So whatever the equivalent for the federal government, right, of people who are getting paid $217,000, $300,000, dollars $350,000, for the equivalent accountability, responsibility of their role for the amount of people they manage and what they're accountable for and assets, et cetera, does it match against these other businesses like your NBN, your Snowy Hydros, your Ospos? And from my rudimentary desktop research, the lower tiers of federal parliament and politicians actually get paid significantly more for those roles compared to these other sort of NBNs, Snowy Hydros, et cetera. The top roles. Yeah. And, and you, so you sit there and you look at it and you go, if you, if you cut off sort of the executive layer and you go, cool, executive layer, we can justify that. And maybe the prime minister and people supporting him might deserve to get paid a little bit more because in comparison, the other guys in these other companies, <laughs> they do get paid quite a bit more to sort of not go elsewhere. But if you go below that layer, I do see a disparate sort of gap between what politicians get paid to sort of people in sort of working under these sort of management layer or departmental lead layer within sort of these other sort of public companies. Is it the argument to that though, in a lot of cases, is that if you work in government for a number of years, eventually you'll reach a point where you've got really strong relationships, you're a specialist in some sort of area and then you go private and people will hire you because, oh, this guy's got government ins, right? We might be able to get access to someone or we might be able to do it. Like you hear stories about many politicians going into private sector after. So I think that's probably like the, I don't want to say the pathway, but it'd be be commonly known, right? There'd be many people sitting in like lower paid jobs knowing that, hey, five years from now, I'm going to get grabbed. This is going to be, uh, I'm going to jump to private and this is going to be a killing. I just found it. I just found it interesting. of Just like the, the difference between it. I am. So I guess for Australian business owners listening to this, Charlie, besides us just, closing the businesses and going and become politicians and working in the public sector. <laughs> is there any like key sort of takeaways, key points that we really should sort of look at and think about outside of like, well, if these guys got pay increases, probably very, very valid for us to go get pay increases and hey, who's going to be paying for them too? Well, our tax is probably going to be coming into on, on that. Like, what else do we need to interpret from this? Well, I think the thing that I look to is like we pay tax, right? We pay a lot of tax and like this is where it goes. These are the people that get paid. I think every business owner should be uh, looking at this and going, well, this is where my tax dollars are going and like am I happy with that? Personally, I would love a little bit more transparency around what politicians actually do. Like how is the time and resources being spent? I realise that we don't get a lot of that. But at the same time, I think Australia should be proud. We've actually got a lot of really clever people, like a lot of really clever people. Um, I, and I'll just point out one from Robert Lowe, who's the Reserve Bank Governor. Rob Lowe, for sure, you know, we're buddies. Um, I watched him speak. Uh, like, it was a, I think it's the press club. Yep. Clever guy. I'm like, I'm actually really happy. Like, you're no dummy. You're on your shit. It's easy for the media to grab a soundbite and make you sound not as smart or in the know as what you are, but it actually gave me a bit of confidence. 
And I looked at that and gone, all right, I feel good about this. And I think that that's the difference because if you don't give them the incentive for that, they're not going to go. They're, they're going to go elsewhere and they're going to go in the private sector and they're going to make other people the cash and instead of looking out for us. Completely. Yeah. The, the other point, I'm just like, because this is really sort of banging around the news at the moment. I'm just like, is the government going to steal like my labor market? <laughs> because as you know, like when economies go down, they go and create jobs, like they create sort of public jobs, like public servant jobs, whether that's uh, sort of stimulated through like infrastructure projects or stimulated through like innovation projects and things like that. Like they generally go and create jobs to go, hey guys, <laughs> go and go and do this. I'm like, maybe now there's more competition for me and in, in labor market for people to go, nope, we're going to go to the public sector. This is going to be easy for us. I'll say maybe. Yeah. I, I'm just like, guys on the news, you can slow down. <laughs> Don't just keep incentivizing people to go become politicians by saying that they're earning hundreds of thousands of dollars every single year. However, it's just, it's different. It is just fascinating the difference between the public world and the private world. All right, let's jump on to next topics. Let's do it. So from the community, I, don't, you, I saw you actually commented on this. So I just want to do a bit of a shout out to Ken. So Ken's been the full stack business owner community over on the Facebook group for quite a while. Asked some super valuable questions, even to the extent of when he triggered off buying an investment property. And interestingly enough, shout out Ken, uh, jumping in on another one back to back. I don't even think he's settled on the first one. And now he's jumping into another one. So I just wanted to do a massive shout out to you, Ken. Uh, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, and, congratulations. Massive congratulations. Yeah. And so for anyone who wants to go and join in the group, uh, we shout out to absolutely anybody who's just absolutely crushing it. And I just want to also say, uh, be sure to check out any of these upcoming episodes as well. We've got some really awesome Q&As coming through. And again, as I'm going to say, if you're not already on the newsletter, be sure to join. The newsletter is designed to enhance your full stack of skills to make business and uh, make wealth inside and outside of your business. So head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and get notified every single time we come out with these episodes. And if you did enjoy this episode, send it over to someone else who might actually get some value from this. Uh, we always dive deep into these topics to make sure that's valuable for not just you who's listening, but also every other business owner in Australia. I just want to say thank you again for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.